Welcome to the SoCal Hymns Podcast. I am Sarah Richardson, and today we are featuring a conversation with David Chow. David Chow is Vice President and Chief Information and Digital Officer at Children's Mercy Kansas City, the only freestanding children's hospital between St. Louis and Denver. Children's Mercy provides comprehensive care for patients from birth to age 21. It is consistently ranked among the leading children's hospitals in the U.S. and was the first hospital in Missouri or Kansas to earn the prestigious magnet designation for excellence in patient care from the American Nurses Credentialing Center. Prior to joining Children's Mercy, David held the CIO position at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, the only academic health center in Mississippi. David also served as Senior Director of IT Operations at Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi and as CIO at AHMC Healthcare in California. His work has been recognized by several publications, and he has been interviewed by a number of media outlets. CIOs today are faced with a Herculean effort of transforming the business to a digital landscape while simultaneously using innovation disrupting tried and true methods. Solving for how it will be in the future is shaped by several factors that David will share with us today in the role of the CIO in healthcare transformation. Good morning, David. Thanks for being with us on our podcast this morning. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Glad to join the discussion. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. I always enjoy having a chance to uh, chat with you and talk shop, mostly because uh, for as connected we are as colleagues in general, a lot of times you only get to really see your colleagues maybe once or twice a year. So being able to connect in a format like our podcast is fantastic. So I appreciate you joining us. We're always looking for great topics. And as I was checking with our membership in HIMSS, I was saying, like, what is the next thing that people want to hear about? And they were talking about the role of the CIO and really healthcare and digital transformation and how it's hard. There's, you know, disruptive factors that are impacting our ability to do this. And when I thought about with whom I would want to speak to make this a a great topic, I thought, okay, I'm calling David Chow and asking him to be on the program. So here you are. And we are talking about the role of the CIO in healthcare and digital transformation today. So when you think about that and what that means to you and based on your background, all the things that you have done and are seeing in the in the marketplace today, how has your role of the CIO changed during your tenure? And how do you forecast like really what needs to come next to be successful in this space? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's where I see the role has changed tremendously. Even thinking back on my career when when I first started, there were, the Seattle role was probably at its infancy or maybe non-existent. Uh, if you think about it in the hospital, there was probably a department called data processing and where the head of technology's primary focus was making sure telecom worked, making sure the servers are uh, building servers. If you were lucky enough to have a electronic medical record, making sure that that's working efficiently. But nothing from a strategic matter to where now the CEO is looking for the CIO to be that driver from a strategy perspective, helping the organization think about how they're maximizing their investments in technology and ensuring that it's a possible competitive advantage versus their peers. So the CIO role has changed uh, completely from a builder of technology to now a business leader that's helping the organization utilize technology um, to, to be more efficient so that's a very di- that takes a very different mindset. That takes a different strategy, and that's where it has shifted a lot, even in the last five years or so. So you're really talking about creating a digital culture and thinking about how you need to have a data-driven mindset and creating solutions for where we need to be versus where we are today. How are you setting up that environment? for your organization, both from an IT team perspective, as well as educating the business on how they need to be able to think differently? Definitely, it is a culture play, um, and that's where it has to start. From a 
operational IT perspective, you know, think about when was the last time you had gone through and revisited a job description. If you're an organization that's starting to think cloud first or even cloud only, are you repositioning your engineers to be cloud engineers versus a different title? Are you rewriting that job description so that people understand expectations? So if you're not doing that, then you're not setting that initial cultural mindset. And that's where I am starting to even do simple things like rewrite job descriptions. I know it's painful, but it's a necessity because your employees need to know, number one, where you want them to start thinking and head towards. And number two, it sort of creates that uh, reset in the, in the thinking of what that role needs to look like. Now, it's a very hard thing to for some employees to adjust. Folks who have been in the industry for a long time, they grew up building technology. Now you're telling them and instructing them to start thinking about letting go of commodity-type-like functions and focusing on business outcome. So internally, I'm, I'm, I have been preaching that a lot where we want to be users of technology. We want to help the organizations be master users of the tools. We want to be able to build out things quick with agility versus the, the racking and stacking where we think about core infrastructure. So that, that takes a lot of reinforcement, a lot of education, a lot of discussions just to get people's mindset to change. Now on the business front, if you think about where um, organizations have traditionally value IT is, we were the plumbers. Now we're moving from away from the plumbers towards business leaders. If you think about where you are at uh, on a regular basis in terms of your discussion, people are constantly trying to understand how can they use technology to be a competitive advantage. How can they use that as a driver to be efficient? How can they use that to do things faster, better, and cheaper? And it's because of those kinds of discussions, and that's where the CEO's expectations are, that is where you need to educate the organization on. Here's our plan in terms of our organizational um, technology roadmap. And here's where it aligns to where we want to be in, in, in terms of the organization strategy. Making sure those align, having constant discussion, education with the business leader, upwards, downwards, laterally, that is that is a key um, sort of theme for where the CIO needs to focus on. The job is going to have to be more strategic versus operational. So traditionally, you may be operating uh, or spending 80% of your time managing the day-to-day -day function, 20% strategically. That definitely needs to flip. It has to be 80% strategic now versus 20% operational. So how do you how do you go about doing that? How do you even transform yourself individually as a CIO to operate differently than what you have been doing the last five years, 10 years ago? Um, so that, that, that reinvention needs to occur all the way around. So you're talking about the optimization of operations. You're teaching your business customers and your IT team to think about solutions and capabilities from more of a digital and consumer-centric perspective. Uh, simultaneously, you've got to use, obviously, innovation to disrupt the organization and move away from some of the tried-and-true models and bring greater value to the org. How do you transfer that to the boardroom and into initiatives that your team can successfully deliver upon? So when you think about where the boardroom comes in, you know, I would say the one thing I really move away from is having the board members think of me as a utility. Um, we still may be owners of security, and that, that that's definitely a prerequisite. But also, 
tell the story of how you could deliver value from a strategic perspective. So, for example, for me, um, there's two themes I, I, I always present to the board. One is I will do whatever I can to make sure the organization is secure. And I view that as a blocking, tackling. I view a lot of that feet function as more commodity-like. But then my second initiative is focused on experience. And what I tell them is my goal is to improve the experience, not just externally for all the patients that gets in contact with, with us, but also internally because we're a service provider to all the business lines. So we want to improve the experience for all employees working in our organization. And I keep on re-harping on those two themes, and I provide strategic initiatives focusing on those two themes. One of the things that we have to do as CIOs and technology leaders is to understand and um, put together a strategy on where to say no, because we get hit with all types of project requests, initiatives, and it's really hard to say no, but there's an art to understanding how you can say no and pointing them back to the strategy. So I try not to have the team work on too many things. Um, when I walked into my organization, we had over 300 different projects in a single year. And that's, you know, looking at looking back at that, that's probably a minimum three-year roadmap. Now we shorten it to two, under 200, still a lot, but we have learned the art of saying no. We have learned the art of understanding which projects are critical to for the organization to be successful and which ones are definitely tied into the strategy for the organization. So that's our job to put that linkage together. And my recommendation for a lot of our peers is understand how to do that effectively within the C-suite. And then when you present it to the board, give them one or two different stories about how you're providing business value and how you're actually helping reshape the organization's business model. Do you find that the change management within an organization and potential lack of overall ownership from the enterprise is hindering some of these efforts? Because to your point, at any given moment, we get like 10 or 15 items in a given week from the business that we need to take through our intake or governance process. And I think about how IT can really be a thought partner and enabler, um, but the business really needs to own their products once they're delivered and be part of aligning their strategy with us so that we can deliver effectively on a more finite set of items that are, that are going to be most important to the business. How are you delicately handling those types of conversations with your business owners? So this is where the I would say the sales hat and the marketing hat of has to come in. If you think about what we have to do, we have to build influence. So flipping, going back to what I originally talked about, 80% strategic discussions, part of that is also building a relationship with entire leads of the organization, making sure they understand the roadmap, making sure you're helping them with their initiative, but also making sure that you can't do everything. So example, if I get 50 requests from HR, I can't do all 50. I maybe will do 20. And that's 20 for the next three years. So anytime we get anything more from HR department, I refer back to those 20 initiatives that I laid out uh, on a a monthly basis. And I say, okay, happy to do these new initiatives, but you know we can only tackle 20 based on what we have agreed upon. So let's reprioritize. And you have to be really diligent in that effort. Um, Otherwise, you won't be able to be successful. You're always going to be firefighting. We're still firefighting to this day, but I'm trying to at least contain that firefighting mode. So a lot of that is really about the internal politics of organization, the ability to influence um, your your peers. And it's really about sales and marketing. That's 
And that's how I view a big part of the world now is where I am out there selling ideas. I'm out there building consensus. I'm not selling technology because people view our role as technology leaders. They do not care what technology solution you pick. They are focusing just on the outcome of it. So it's our job to really get organizational buy-in. And that's where that flip in the CIO role is really critical now. When you had mentioned also about going back and rewriting job descriptions for your teammates and thinking about how to stay on top of what our future teammates look like in the technology space. So we have that fabric of the things we have to be good at. We have to be able to do cybersecurity. We have to be able to do our app inventories. We have to be able to pass all the blocking and tackling that have historically been part of our role. But when you look to, to build your teammates and to think about how you position IT for the future, understanding the business, facilitating conversations, negotiating outcomes, how important are those factors in being able to create a true partnership with the business versus just looking for the technologists like we may have historically done in the past? No, that's, I think that's definitely important. Um, the theme has to be we have to be embedded. So one of the things I'm going to experiment with, and it's, I'm, I'm breaking up the entire pyramid structure of the IT department, and what I want to have is I'll, I'll classify as pods. Now, these pods are going to be specialized and embedded in certain department areas. So let me give you an example, surgery. So I want to have a surgery pod that consists of medical informatics, so physicians, nursing informatics leaders, analysts uh, from a software perspective, even the, the even on the financial side, patient registration, the billers, and maybe one or two technologists. Now, this makes up this pod that's going to be embedded in surgery. And they will be in charge of all surgery initiatives related to technology, whether that's project rollout, whether that is configuration of applications. And my expectation is by having these pods, we could attack projects in an agile method. So doing things a lot quicker in a matter of weeks and sprints versus months. Because when you have all these silos broken out, it takes a lot of effort in terms of getting um, cross-functional communication. Now, by having these pods embedded, I'm, I assume the communication would be a lot easier and people have that laser focus on their initiative and who their customers are. So that is one approach that I'm going to try to uh, stay ahead and break up the tra traditional model, having that pyramid hierarchical reporting structure. So um, I would say still early, but I'm happy to bring back my, my learning experience in the future and hopefully it'll be a success. But it really takes that kind of effort to rethink how you're set up um, structurally to drastically change because if you take in incremental changes you won't see that improvement and you may not meet the expectations of the organization so that that, that has been that's my approach right now and that's what i'm working towards as we speak yeah so education and learning allows for taking risks and delivering new solutions but it is a dedicated investment which you are definitely taking with your team is that unique you believe to an environment like yours where you're one of the most prominent children's hospitals in the midwest or do you believe that that's an approach that could be taken from a facility that's a <clears throat> 25 bed critical access hospital to something as large as a 900 bed system how applicable are some of these ideas that you're bringing forth in your opinion I would say, no, it's not about the ideas. I'm sure everyone has ideas. It comes down to your your abilities or even courage to try it. I think that's what it comes down to. Are you in that right? Do you have the right timing right now to where you could try those and it's not going to hurt you politically? 
And is your organization courageous enough to adapt to that shift? I think that's the that's the key theme of this. Who is going to try and trust their gut on doing something drastically different? And that also comes down to, you know, there's a lot that behind the scenes is the reality is people who are in the later stages of career who may not be, uh, they, they may not want to try these courageous things because they want to have a steady path. Um, for myself, I still have a long way to go in my career. So I definitely have to try to be disruptive and try something new to understand the kind of impact and make a huge change. So I, there's a lot of that the timing comes in play, uh, even the leader's sort of career trajectory and where they want to be in life. All those play a fact that we never talk about. But I definitely say, you know, people have great ideas. We just have to go try it. And uh, if it fails, be able to, you know, change and fail fast, as the as a saying goes. But it's, it comes down to the courage and guts and whether you're willing to really change yourself. Because we all have great ideas in our heads. You know, it does. And the reason I, I pause even on this question to go a little bit further with you is because the CIO has a finite amount of time on his or her plate. And you think about how important it is for us to stay relevant and stay informed and be a part of what's happening and going on every single day. So I have a twofold question for you. Number one, how much time do you think that a CIO should be spending on their own education and, and staying informed and seeing what's out there? And then what's the best approach for doing that? And I ask because you and I have met through Chime initially and Hims, but a big connector for us was social media. And I think we met on Twitter before we actually met face-to-face at Chime. And for some, that's just a completely foreign space about how much time you should really be spending uh, in other arenas versus right in your own home court. So just tell me your thoughts on, on all of those different inputs. So education, I'm a big believer in continuing education and constantly learning about what's going on, which is why I'm such a big believer in the internet, big believer in social networks. It's not, it's about, you, you have the ability to hear what's going on in real time. And also think about how you could use it just to connect. The way we connect it, that shows a powerful impact so that we connected through social media, but when we saw each other for the first time, we felt like we knew a lot about each other without having to say a word. So think about how you could use that to your advantage to reach out to other leaders in other industries. I'll tell you an example. When I first landed in Kansas City, my first contact was with Cerner. Uh, never had, I've never, never a Cerner client, but I was reach out, able to reach out to the president through Twitter, and that's how we got connected. So think about how you could use those tools just to connect with leaders in your region, but also nationally, and then use that to your advantage. Uh, reach out, provide value, learn from each other. All you have to do is ask if you, or ask a question, ask for help. Everyone out there is wanting to help, but you have to take the first step, step in terms of asking. And that's where the power of the internet and social channels can give you that communication media. So for me, I'm, I'm a big believer in utilizing these tools to our advantage just to be able to network and communicate and most importantly, learn from each other because you don't have, you don't have the time of day to meet everyone face-to-face, but now you have these tools out there that you're able to connect with anyone. So there shouldn't be an excuse as far as why one individual can't get a hold of someone else, whether it's through an informal chat or just through a thought leadership or just uh, uh, idea exchange. It's everyone's everyone's out and has everyone has a digital presence. So learn how to use it to benefit uh, yourself in terms of it from an education perspective. 
And it really is a, a matter of being strategic about the time that you spend, the connections you make, the articles you publish, the things that you talk about, etc. For example, we'll put our podcast out on all the different social channels. And to your point, when you first got to KC, and I'd already left KC, and uh, one of the recent tweets that had come out was an article that Zane Burke had written about what you're doing at Children's Mercy. And I thought, how cool is that when you've got the essentially the president of Cerner who is out there talking about what's happening in their own backyard with David and to think about the presence that you have socially out there um, with HIT. And so for, for those that say, I don't, I don't know social media, I don't have time to be on social media, et cetera, what kind of strategy can you recommend to users, whether they carve out 15 minutes, 20 minutes? minutes, how they make thoughtful connections as they are looking to grow their presence, and really about driving change and being part of something bigger than they are in in HIT today. So the key thing for me, um, sort of growing up and learning about this space, I'm still constantly learning every day as we we speak. The key phrase I would use is be consistent. So be consistent on spending, if you have five minutes, 15 minutes, you know, understand who is having those conversations, understanding how you could use that just as a news feed, you know, know about what's going on because these social tools, you hear about the flashing news in real time almost. So you shouldn't have to wait. You shouldn't be waiting there and waiting for someone to give you the information. You have the ability to get that yourself. So be consistent, be vigilant in terms of using it proactively to get the news. And if you want to connect with someone, use that to have a conversation. Everyone wants to learn in the social space. Everyone has a very open mind. So reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out. Um, so, and, and then don't get too bogged down as far as who's following you, who are you following, do you have enough followers? That doesn't really matter. You know, if you provide great content, if you have great conversations, it could lead to a powerful connection. So that's how I like to use the tool um, to benefit me professionally. And if, if you think about it, you could also use that as, as a brand tool for you individually, which will help you in your career as well. Um, Think about the presence that you may have if you join in your existing organization or if you actually join a new organization. If people know about your brand, if they understand where your thought processes are, where you want to move the organization towards, that's a pretty powerful impact as a leader Mm -hmm. where your staff does not need to have an initial discussion with you. They just know about you. And when you have that uh, feedback and a follow-up discussion with every one of your team members, it goes a long way to where they have some ideas of what you're about and vice versa. So I would say from a personal career-building perspective, it's a very powerful tool uh, if you're using it appropriately just to be able to share your ideas and have that one-to-many discussion. Uh, one of the ways I like to use as well is, you know, think about how you, I, think about the challenges in terms of talking to every staff member in your just within the IT department. So now you have a voice where you have that one message out and it could go to everyone. So are you using social tools within your internal IT department as communication? Maybe, maybe not. If not, why not? It'll be a lot easier to have that one-to-many discussion. So I've also tried to advocate for that in our organization. We're utilizing tools from Microsoft like a Yammers where I can ask for feedback. If I'm rolling out a new tool or here's a new here's a new upgrade, I could get instant feedback from all the end users. And I don't have to necessarily go out and talk to everyone, even though I do make the rounds, but I won't be able to talk to every single one. Now we have this other channel where I could get constant feedback. And then my team can also chime in as far as here's how to fix the problem or here's why we designed the way we designed it. It creates an authentic discussion where people 
understand uh, where you want to move towards strategically and even from an initiative perspective. So I'm a big believer in utilizing social tools from a personal brand advocate, but also from a communication standpoint. Yeah, there's some pretty phenomenal internal social channels that you can use to drive collaboration organizations. We recently were thinking about ways to allow our physicians to stay more connected in a way that's not going to be, you know, within the EMR and contextually they can just share ideas and thoughts. And so same thing, Yammer, Slack, others really provide some great tools for um, users to look at. One of the things that I found interesting, I was having this conversation with a colleague yesterday. They're like, there's too much stuff out there. There's, There's too many sources. There's too much social media. Like the person literally said to me, where do I start? And I said, well, what resonates with you? And they kind of just gave me this look, like they're really being t- having me like lead them to water to, to tell them where to focus. And I said, you know, I've, I've landed on LinkedIn and Twitter, um, A, because it's easy. They're connected. When I, when I put something out on LinkedIn, it automatically tweets, et cetera. Um, and you can get a really good followership in those two spaces. When you go out there and you find content and you pull articles and you're looking for things to share and talk about in the industry – if, if a colleague's looking for a place to start to stay well-informed and to share some ideas and really and really start to dabble in, in what they're looking to talk about, where do you recommend they start? So to start, I think it's easiest to start on LinkedIn. Um, I, I, was, I was on a sort of internal panel with our organization and people were asking me about social media. And my first question to everyone was, where's your resume? You know, because now LinkedIn is your digital resume no one really looks at the resume first if you get applicants that's applying for a job i think your first thing you may do is do a google search and based on that google search are they the first thing that appears are they top 10 or or you may scour linkedin so i would start with linkedin as a recommendation um, because that is our professional digital footprint and then as you mature and see how that uh how that platform works then move towards something like a Twitter where it's a faster discussion, where there's it's just an information blast. But if you know how to filter Twitter effectively, it could be a real, really good source for real-time news. So those are the two I like to use from a professional standpoint. If we're in a different vertical like marketing, then definitely the other platforms like Instagram, Facebook, it would appeal a lot more. But from our, from where we sit in healthcare information technology. Um, I would definitely start with LinkedIn and Twitter as this number two. Okay. And you are a mover and shaker in attending events and putting, bringing people together and, and hosting like side, really CXO type of events and really being a thought partner in the industry. How much time or how often do you believe a CIO should be out there attending either a conference or a one-day seminar hosted by uh, one of our vendors or hosted by, say, Hims or Chime or whomever? How important is it for that CIO to be out there in the face-to-face world as well? It's extremely important. Um, you know, we, we, we could establish great relationship virtually through social media. But when you actually have that face-to-face connection, even for a day with a peer, that goes a long way where you have another number to call in case you run into this, an issue. You, would, you just want to have another, n- another brain to pick. So we're, the reason why I started this uh, healthcare summit is I just want to bring together tough thought leaders that I usually go to for to exchange ideas and i wanted to create a more intimate experience where we actually get to know each other a lot better but at the same time we could have real discussions that's that's critical you go to a lot of events and you hear about people showcasing their successes but you know what behind that success there are so many problems that people do not talk about and i wanted to create this avenue to where we could talk about our failures we could talk about our constant struggle and then we could get 
um, hopefully get get some feedback and make make us think a little bit differently to solve that same exact challenge. So I think it's really important to be able to get out there, uh, set aside some time to do that from a personal development uh, development perspective. And it's also important for you to express that early on uh, upon joining an organization or even your in your existing organization that that is a requirement for from a professional development perspective because you could learn so much from having a conversation with someone outside of work. So for me, that's been something I strive for, and I have felt that it has been a big part of my success uh, in my career so far. So undoubtedly, our listeners are going to be hearing about all the things that you're doing to really change the shape of IT, both from teammate job descriptions to bringing initiatives and strategies into the board, thinking about them from a total business operations and optimization perspective, all the way down to, oh my gosh, I better get out there and be relevant on Twitter. When our listeners reach out to you to ask you about this or to find you on LinkedIn, you are David Chow. How do they find you on Twitter? Twitter, my Twitter handle is DCHOU1107. So a very easy way to find me. Um, send me a direct message or any way you, you want. I, I usually get those messages pretty rapidly. So happy to provide any insight and help I can. But at the same time, I learn more from people reaching out to me than anything else. And I would share with our listeners, if you are looking to see how to build those types of brands, go and look at what David has done on multiple fronts and uh, get some ideas. And I always say that, you know, imitation is the best form of flattery. And definitely I've learned from you every day in this space as well. As we wrap and you think about the things we've talked about and what you would want to leave our listeners and our CIO uh, peers with today, what is your parting thought for our conversation? I would say just do something. Uh, that's what, what I always leave away with. Do something. We all have great ideas, but we're not always quick on pulling that trigger. So every day, if you have a great idea, go try to do it. Implement it. If it fails, oh well. You revert back and change. But the key theme is to do something every day. And that's what I try to live by. Um, and just be courageous. Thank you. And I look forward to checking out your tweets after we wrap our podcast today. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Thank you. Join us next time for the first of a two-part series in the current state of healthcare cybersecurity with Sri Bharwadaj, featuring threats, breaches, challenges, and how you can be prepared for the future. Special thanks to Esteban Parano, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us to produce our podcast series.